Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Let us start with a very interesting article that I saw. Um, it says, Texas sheriff receives threats from all over the country after arresting anti-lockdown protesters. A Texas sheriff has been inundated with threatening phone calls um, days after his deputies arrested eight protesters outside a bar in Texas. Hector County Sheriff Mike Griffiths said anti-lockdown protesters had rallied outside the county's office and at a house they believe belongs to Griffiths this week in response to his decision to detain bar owner Gabrielle Ellison and members of Open Texas who attempted to reopen Big Daddy Zane's bar in Odessa on Monday. I'm getting calls from all over the country threatening to shoot me. I mean, it's just been crazy, Griffiths said, tolling, um, said as he told News West 9 Wednesday. All these people that are here from wherever you came from, just go home and get yourself a job. Now, let me stop right there. Um, as, as much as I have some degree of um, compassion for uh, the sheriff, who by law doesn't have to execute um, edicts from his higher-ups. Uh, many sheriffs throughout the country, when uh, mayors or township supervisors have um, ordered sheriffs to uh, enforce laws that the sheriffs themselves felt were unconstitutional uh, as they pertain to guns, uh, many sheriffs um, across the country uh, opted out of doing that in protest. So uh, I understand that this guy is, is in a rough position. He's in the middle of um, the open up crowd and the close it all down crowd, which in Texas um, is, is not quite as contentious as it is in many other states. So I, I, I do feel um, bad for this guy. However, um, get yourself a job uh, screaming that to the protesters is is rather ill-timed and ignorant in a um, in a uh, culture where uh, just two months ago our unemployment rate was three point eight percent in this country, and now it's upwards of twenty percent. So, um, kind of making the point of the Open Up Texas uh, group when um, when he says, "Get yourself a job." It could be very easy to uh, retort. Well, we'd like to, Sheriff Griffiths, but um, you know the state, if you will, has shut down everything, so it's rather hard to get ourselves a job or keep ourselves a job. So, I thought, um, I thought, even though I uh, I sympathize with Sheriff Griffiths, I, I I do find his choice of words very curious. Protest leader Philip Archibald has used social media to rally Texans across the state who are upset with the coronavirus lockdown policies, some of which will be lifted this week throughout Texas. Archibald was undeterred after learning that others were threatening Griffiths and his deputies. I have no control over that. That's people being angry over what he did, and he deserves it, he said. So um, we have contention. We have contention, and um, 
we're going to continue to have it. So, uh, and it, that article goes on to uh, to talk about um, the young lady that we uh, discussed last week, who, in defiance of local officials, opened up her beauty salon and she was subsequently fined three thousand dollars and had to spend a week in jail so they were playing with her and uh, this is coming to a head in municipalities all across this nation i I think um right after the last time we were together um, there was just a a fascinating uh little dust up uh you know uh with this gentleman uh, giving out the governor's uh, cell phone number in Maine. And it was, um, it was pretty amazing. You know, it was on, um, it was on Tucker Carlson, but you know, it was, it was black and white. Uh, This is a state that is a a state of 1.2 million folks that um, have a total of uh, at at the time of that airing uh, 53 coronavirus deaths in a state of 1.2 million and the governor has said not only shut it down, but we're shutting it down in perpetuity. We're not even giving anybody any um, any type of time frame at all. Which, if you know anything about the tourism industry uh, in New England, if you blink, you're going to miss it. Um, they're ramping up for the start of their summer season, which is Memorial Day. And believe me, I'm I'm from upstate New York in the Adirondacks, and uh, it gets cold really quick. They don't have long summers, uh, particularly in Maine. And this guy wants to open, and he wants to open quickly and in defiance of the governor up there, which he, his words, not mine, is in way over her head. Um, he plans on opening up, and I believe he did open up. But um, there's a classic example of, you know, what works as far as lockdown, shutdown, sequestering, in Philadelphia, where we're broadcasting from, certainly we could put a little thought into this and maybe try a different approach in the great state of Maine, where uh, at the time of that airing, uh, in a state of 1.2 million people, um, hospital beds were largely available, and there were at that time 33 active COVID-19 patients in a state of 1.2 million people. To continue to shut that state down is is really um there is no other reason than to just be an authoritarian and a dictator and it's really horrible and so we we have this situation in texas we have situations in maine that these things are playing out in municipalities all over the united states uh, this next article i found to be very interesting nurses union using coronavirus chaos to promote Medicare for all. Uh, we discussed um, socialized medicine last week. We'll go into it uh, a little bit this week, but the uh, author of this article, a lady named Sarah Lee, oddly enough, uh, for all the harm they do, pandemics such as COVID-19 at least shine a light on the crucial expertise and bravery of healthcare professionals, giving people in the United States the rare opportunity to really pause and consider the heroic job these people do during times of public health crisis. And uh, I could not agree more. 
Officials' uh, reports indicate that dozens of healthcare workers have died in the pandemic. This should be a time of mourning and respect for those who have fallen and those still in the line of fire. Uh, but the article says, leave it to big labor, however, to swoop in at such a fragile time and exploit the very real crisis, which has become something of a progressive modus operandi to advocate for their socialist policies, policy ideas. By muddying the waters and sowing discord in the ranks of nurses themselves while creating a fictional public opposition to their work, labor unions hope to sell the centralized version of health care that big labor favors, which is Medicare for all. Um, so not only uh, are we exploiting a crisis here, but we're doing it to beat this dead horse that Bernie Sanders has made millions of dollars off of, Medicare for all socialized medicine. Um, to back up, if you weren't with us last week, uh, read some articles about how the pandemic is languishing in many other countries far longer and in a more severe fashion than here, simply uh, for one of the reasons is they are not set up as far as their um, medical system is concerned to handle a situation such as this. So um, talk about the worst time to be uh, sick uh, would be in a, in a country that has socialized medicine or a Medicare for all type of a uh, setup. Socialized medicine always leads to rationing, lack of innovation, lack of competition, bureaucratic or welling in death panels, and, and basically substandard health care. And that is all horrible enough under normal circumstances. But when you have a global pandemic going on, this is the absolute worst possible time to be talking about how the United States of America, of all places, needs a Medicare for all um, type of a system. Uh, organized nursing protests are already happening in states around the country, organized by the biggest nurses union in the country, the National Nurses United. This is the NNU. Working in conjunction with smaller state-based unions, the NNU has begun organizing nurses in protest over what they say is a lack of top-shelf personal protective equipment and a flagrant government dismissal of deaths in their ranks as a result of the shortage. The NNU, which calls itself the largest union and professional association of registered nurses in U.S. history, released a statement on April 6th, essentially demanding the government act now to give nurses optimal personal protective equipment, including N95 respirators or higher, and to stop treating nurses as if their lives were expendable. It is, of course, hard to argue that nurses shouldn't have the best equipment as they battle on the front lines of a pandemic, and it would be testable, detestable indeed if the American government considered nurses' lives to be without value. Uh, it's hard to imagine anyone disagreeing with that, but a deeper read into the release clarifies that the seemingly rational demands, which I've just articulated, are actually a cover for what the NNU really wants standardized health care provisions such as Medicare for all. Um, and, and that's always the rub. Um, the, the, uh, the goals are not 
often articulated. Um, they're often hidden behind seemingly altruistic things. Um, you know, I'll conclude here to, to kind of make my point. It says, we now bear the full brunt of a healthcare system rendered dysfunctional after years of relentless funding cuts for public health while generating obscene profits for corporate interests, writes New York State Nurses Association President Judy Sheraton Gonzalez. Life-protecting, life-saving equipment should have been assembled. Trained practitioners should have been mobilized en masse. Infrastructure should have been up and running and arming us with the tools to confront the most devastating crisis of our lifetime. And now, late to the game, we must demand that our government make Herculean efforts to prevent its spread to treat its victims, to protect caregivers who place themselves directly in harm's way, and to pull ourselves out of the abyss or we are doomed. So we we kind of digest the words of Mrs. Sheridan Gonzalez. And at first blush, if we don't really know a lot about the state of New York, socialized medicine, demagoguery, um, Rahm Emanuel saying uh, it, it is a complete waste to uh, not exploit a crisis. We may li- we may listen to these words and say, "Hey, Kurt, what, what are you what are you so exercised about? This is um, this is no big deal." And um, but if we peel the onion a little bit and and look at that statement, the statement is chock full of demagoguery and untruths and and just a, just a really wacky way of looking at the world. Um, the, the the overarching theme here is uh, Mrs. Sheridan Gonzalez happens to be a union hack in in the People's Republic of New York. Now, if if anybody were to be sympathetic with Medicare for all, socialized medicine, crappy medicine, or, or any of the uh, of these things, it would be the state of New York, the bureaucrats in New York. And the bean counters in New York and, and all the leftists in, in the state of New York. So why I'm scratching my head is Mrs. Gonzalez is kind of complaining that life-saving equipment was not assembled, trained practitioners should have been mobilized, infrastructure should have been up and running. And, and many of the reasons that it wasn't is because her state is led by a, a leftist buffoon, which is... Um, uh, Governor Cuomo. We uh, chronicled on the show last week about the nursing home debacle. Um, he kept screaming for ventilators. He got 40,000 ventilators. He used a fraction of that largely because he didn't need them. Um, and as far as infrastructure is concerned, the Army Corps of Engineers sprinted up to New York uh, helped to construct the job uh, or to convert the Javits Center into a makeshift spillover hospital. Um, the uh, the ship was uh, docked off the port of New York again as a as a massive makeshift hospital. Neither of those two things were used when when Governor Cuomo and his uh, health department ordered COVID nineteen patients to be discharge from hospitals right into nursing homes, which is, is defies intelligence. You don't really have to know too much about epidemiology or healthcare to know that um, 
unleashing individuals that are COVID-19 positive into a population of elderly people who are immunocompromised and, and really cannot sustain, sustain um, a bout of the virus like uh, perhaps other uh, groups could with a little or no warning from the state is, is absolutely insane. So Mrs. Gonzalez, you're, you're really in an ironic twist. You're getting what you advocate for. You and your union want Medicare for all, socialized medicine, crappy medicine, stupid decision-making by bureaucrats, and but you're complaining about it at the same time, which is really very odd and, and, and just very, um, you know, true to form for the average liberal rhetoric. They oftentimes create the problem and then come in on a white horse with your money and my money and solve the problem. So many of these things that you're complaining about um, are, are things, are constructs that, that um, are a result of your state's um, just bungling of, of many things. Um, generating obscene profits, that's just hyperbolic rhetoric that unions um, and leftists use all the time. Um, and she's correct, Medicare for all would cut largely into the profits of, of drug companies and medical device manufacturers, but it would also limit, uh, it would bankrupt individuals and companies, it would limit competition, it would limit innovation and creativity, as it always does. And your um, ability to have ventilators that work or even ventilators at all would ultimately be diminished greatly if your quest to um, uh, thwart these uh, obscene profits that people are making were actually um, came to fruition. If, if you did that, all the things that you're complaining about would be coming back in spades. So the, the irony is rich here that Mrs. Gonzalez is complaining about a bunch of stuff um, when in reality she's absolutely in the wrong state uh, to be doing that. Um, so anyway, we have uh, things coming to a head in Texas, things coming to a head in New York, all over the country, basically. And it is, um, it is something that we, uh, we're going to have to deal with. And one of the ways we're going to have to deal with it, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else is when I get excited, is we're going to have to learn how to talk to one another without hyperbolic rhetoric, without name calling. And, and the Lord's just indicting me here because I just called Andrew Cuomo a terrible name. But, um, you know, it, there is a time to be righteously indignant. I get it. Uh, but the polarization in this country between in this instance, the open it up crowd and the keep it shut down crowd is just another example of, um, of, uh, you know, people at odds, uh, people in the crosshairs and where is God in all of this? Uh, you know, sometimes I, I look at Jesus with his arms folded up in heaven, watching a ping pong match between Republicans and Democrats, old and young, black and white, Christian and non-Christian, and, and it, he can't even get a word in edgewise because we're so angry with one another, uh, and, and it's just not a good thing. So is there a time to shine the light of truth on hypocrisy, educate people, which my show, uh, that is my intent? Of course there is. But 
to do it in a way without name calling, hyperbolic rhetoric, um, and to try to attract rather than repel is really what we strive for. Do I succeed in doing that? Um, not anywhere near as much as I would like to, but we, um, we get back on the horse as much as we can when we fall off. Uh, good timing for the next article that I printed here. It is um, by Michael Warden, and it is called, Where is God in the Coronavirus Pandemic? And um, I will read the article here. It says, anytime we are faced with widespread suffering, the first question that always comes up is, where is God in all of this? The good news is that the answer remains that God is where he always has been, on his throne and in complete control. Hear, hear. At first, this can seem disheartening. If bad stuff can happen, uh, even when God is in control, why should I trust God? But consider the reverse. And I think this is very clever of Mr. Warden to say this. Um, consider the reverse. If God were incapable of stopping bad things from happening, would that make you feel better or worse about the situation? So at least we have hope. When bad things are happening, we do not understand them. Um, yes, it is frustrating. It is painful. But at least we have hope. The reality is that we as believers can feel confident through hard times precisely because we know that our God will use this situation for our good and his glory. And Mr. Warden goes on to kind of explain why, you know, bad things, sickness, disease, death are in the world. And we as believers, I am a born-again Christian uh, conservative. Um, many of you in the listening audience are, but many of you in the listening audience are not. And um, you may be conservative, you may not be a believer, you may not be conservative or a believer. But um, the reason I bring that up is the next part of the article makes sense to us as believers to some degree. Doesn't probably make a lot of sense to somebody that doesn't believe in God. It says, let's back up. Scientists believe coronavirus first infected humans in a market in Wuhan, China. Now, I would take severe issue with that, but I will move on. But where did the virus actually come from, uh, from a spiritual standpoint? God did not create the world for death and suffering. After God had finished making Eve so that Adam would not be lonely, Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, and through that sin, we see that death and suffering enter the world. We were not made to be separated from the ones we love or to suffer through painful disease. And so the emotional and spiritual tolls um, are often realized uh, in a fallen world. The pattern in scripture, excuse me, in scripture is clear. He is Lord even in our sufferings. We can see that promise made in Romans 8.28, and many of us know that one by heart. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But this promise is not idle. The author goes on to say repeatedly throughout scripture, God fulfills his purposes for the good of his people through trying times. In Genesis, Joseph is sold into slavery, sent to Egypt, 
only to redeem his people by leading Egypt through a tremendous famine. And in the end, Joseph declares in Genesis uh, 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In Job, which ironically, I was, um, I was just reading last night, uh, very, very helpful book in the Bible. It really is. Uh, God allows Satan to take everything away from Job but his life. His possession, his children are destroyed. And in the end, Job confesses, and he is broken. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is Job 42, 2-6. And this is a time where even though Job was getting slapped around pretty good in his greatest time of need by his friends, Job never denied God was God, and he praised him. But he was doing a fair amount of barking and complaining, as any of us would. And this, these verses here are basically Job saying, and I'll paraphrase, um, you know, I know I got a raw deal here, and I was kind of, you know, uh, complaining about it. But um, at the end of the day, you are God. I am but a man. And you are allowed to do anything you want to do. And this is a, uh, a broken Job, a contrite Job, um, a Job that um, has literally uh, been to hell and back. And he is just laid out before God saying, you know, regardless of the raw deal that I have gotten, um, you're God and I'm not. Um, I'm a righteous man, but um, you have saw it fit to have these horrible things befall me. Um, I don't get it, but I certainly don't even have the right to look up to you and question it. And, um, you know, I repent. Uh, and, and, you know, many of us would say, you know, Job didn't really do too much. He kind of defended himself um, among his friends. And he could have cursed God, but he never did. His wife said, why don't you curse him? And he called his wife foolish. So, um, but nonetheless, even, you know, a small amount of, of uh, complaining on Job's part was something that led him to repentance. And, and we, we should always kind of think of that when we go through our inconveniences that the COVID-19 crisis has, um, has thrust upon us. And I, I'm not making... Um, some of the inconveniences of, of many out there, uh, I'm not trivializing them because they have been great. Um, but for many of us, and we will get to this in a moment, as far as what are we learning through this COVID-19 crisis, for many of us, um, we're learning a lot. And we're learning that um, our lives are pretty good. As Americans, we are kind of dumb, fat, and happy. 
and um, and you know uh, maybe we should reflect on a whole host of things, and maybe we have time now to reflect on it. And and as uh, Romans eight twenty eight does say, you know, it, it it seems like a pretty terrible time for us, but the Lord has a way of taking these terrible times and weaving them together for our good and ultimately for His. Um, glory. That's what it's really all about. Um, Article goes on to say, in this case, God restores Job's family possessions and in fact doubles them. But more importantly, Job trusts God through all of his suffering. And though that trust is counted righteousness to him um, through Jesus Christ, we could take nearly endless other examples, the article says, of suffering from the Bible to make similar points from Jonah to Paul, but the most obvious example is Jesus himself. Through Jesus' suffering, God reconciled the world to him. Jesus' death on the cross was not Satan's defeat of God, as the men on the road to Emmaus wondered, but God's defeat of Satan once and for all um, when he says in John 19.30, it is finished. Um, The article concludes here with... um, It says, for the unbeliever, the reality is that the world is like this, full of disease, suffering, death, whether you believe there is a merciful God on the throne or whether you believe that that is also just random chance. The difference between the two outlooks is whether the reality of the current world will produce hope or dismay. And and that that is a really um, good line there, you know. Bad things are going to befall us each and every day. Uh, the Bible does not promise that it's going to be uh, sunshine and roses every day. And what we do with those days where it's bad or those seasons uh, where it's bad is really going to dictate our growth. Um, are we growing in Christ? Are we becoming more Christ-like? Are we attracting people to us rather than repelling? Um, I don't fault the believer to have a pretty terrible negative attitude through this um, because it really does seem like there's not a heck of a lot of good coming out of this. But our hope as believers is is something different than a non-believer or an unbeliever's um, perspective on this. Uh, it goes on to say, for the unbeliever suffering and loss in the only and loss in the only time you believe you have could easily lead you to dismay. This world, you believe, is as good as anything ever gets. If it's not so good to you, what hope might you have for something better? For the believer, however, we are included in the promise of Romans 8.28, all things work together for our good, whether in this life or eternity, and this world is the worst we uh, must endure. All things will be made new. So, that's interesting. You know, we, we go through this and, um, you know, it, it could be very tempting and and uh, easy. And we've done it on this show in the last, you know, six weeks. You know, we, we have gone through article over article over article of left versus right, Democrat versus Republican, liar versus truth teller. Uh, facts versus um, made-up stuff. And, you know, I may even fall prey into uh, discussing that a little bit more than I should. However, um, 
you know, it, as much as we need to be aware of what's going on, and that's why I, I try my best to intersect religion and politics, if you will. I, I hate that word religion, but for the purposes of this discussion, it, it seems appropriate. Um, we need to intersect those two things for some of the reasons that I brought up earlier in the show. However, um, if, if we're not careful, and I'm at the top of that list, guys, um, if we're not careful, this thing can deteriorate real fast into Democrat versus Republican, um, Trump good, Pelosi bad, uh, you know, this judge on the Supreme Court's good, this one's not. And, and we, God looks at this thing a little bit differently than that. Uh, and we have to be aware of that. So my question to you would be, um, you know, what are you learning from this time? Um, hunkering down and fretting and watching your 401k turn into a 201k or God forbid losing your job or having your hours cut so your income is half or um, having to work from home with the challenges of your spouse being at home and perhaps your kids being at home and they're driving you nuts. Um, what are you learning through all of this? Because if, if we're just looking at this as dumb, fat, happy Americans, and we can't, you know, there, there's a, a meat shortage, uh, as you've heard in the news lately. If we're just, you know, um, exercise because we can't get as many steaks um, shoved down our gullet as we once could, or our kids are driving us insane, you know, that, that, um, that time between September and June was was a godsend for many um, parents, particularly moms, um, that at least the school system was going to take care of the kids for um, 8 to 12 hours a day if they're doing after-school things. And now that's gone, and um, people are on edge. What if you don't like your family? What, what if you and your spouse had a strained relationship before this and now you're literally trapped in the same domicile? Um, how does that work? And how much harder is that if you're not a believer, if you're not using that time to pray together, reflect on um, Ephesians, uh, the fifth chapter, and uh the instructions to husbands and wives. What, what if all of that stuff is like foreign to you and you're trapped in a, in a crappy apartment, a small house with somebody you hate? Um, that ain't good. And so what are you doing with this time? Are you wringing your hands about your money, about how much you can't stand the people that you are with? Or are you lamenting the fact you can't be with the loved ones uh, that are far away. You can't travel to see this person or that person. You, you may have loved ones in an assisted living facility where you, can, you just can't see them. All you can do is worry about them and pray about them. Um, where is God in all of this? Where is your growth um, as a Christian? Where is your growth to a lesser extent as a human being? Uh, are you taking inventory of uh, I mean, this, this um, talk about Romans 8.28, I mean, there are so many things personally in my life and my family's life that 
Um, God wanted me to reassess, and I was just too busy to reassess it. And now I have time. Uh, I have forced time to reassess um, these things. Uh, you know, it, the Holy Spirit is going to get across to you one way or another what God wants to get across to you. And, you know, many of us, uh, and I've fallen prey to this as well, have done a very good job from morning to night to fill our lives with, quote unquote, important stuff, uh, things that are uh, necessary to function as a citizen in the United States of America, uh, or as an upstanding provider or, you know, a mom that's uh, managing the home or whatever. Um, we can make it real um easy to just tamp down the Holy Spirit, what he's trying to, to accomplish in our life. And it, as horrible it is, uh, as far as the death, the destruction, the chaos, the the, um, the squelching of liberty and freedom and, and constitutional, um, um, you know, infringements that are happening hourly during this thing, it, as much as that's all terrible and we chronicle those on the show, you know, God is using this time to speak to you right now and to speak to me and to speak to everybody. And, and what are we doing? If, if he's speaking to us, what are we doing as ambassadors of Christ to, to bring hope to an unbelieving world uh, or our, our fellow Christians that happen to have a very wavering faith? Now, there's a lot of people that were on some pretty wobbly legs in the beginning of March when this whole thing started two months ago. And um, if you were to tell them two months ago this was going to happen, do you think you'd be standing? Uh, a lot of them would say, absolutely, there's just no way. Um, for a lot of people, this pandemic has been the cherry on the Sunday. Their lives are are just... That, that was the nail, um, metaphorically, in their coffin. And um, we got to be cognizant of that. We have to be um, thankful that we may not be where many of our fellow citizens are. And we have to do what we need to do and what Christ would like us to do in order to, um, in order to reach out to them. So, you know, I... I searched some Bible verses and some some topics that I think we all could kind of benefit from. And I just, you know, five or six of them. And I wanted to go down the list and, and just ask you, and, and by asking you, I'm asking myself, where, where am I on this scale? How am I doing in the area of patience or being humble or trusting in the Lord or being thankful or uh, any of these things. So let, let me just take it right from the top. Um, the first one I jotted down is patience. For, for some of the reasons that I just mentioned, we're all pretty much trapped uh, in wherever we're, we are. Uh, we may be trapped with people that we don't necessarily get along with. Um, we may be fretting and being very anxious um, during this period of time, it may be revealing to us where our where our little mini gods or our idols may be, and it, and it may just be revealing to us 
that things that are we haven't idolized that the Lord has blessed us with are 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 really on shaky ground right now. What are we doing? I, where is God? Are we patient with God? Are we patient with the the others in our lives? And um, I just uh, pulled up Romans twelve twelve here that says, "Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer." That's a mouthful. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Are you hopeful during this period of time? Um, hard to be hopeful, but there's a lot of really good things happening out there. If you if you see them, if you're looking for them, if you think positively, um, are we patient in affliction? I mean, we are all afflicted to one degree or another. But as I said before, some quite a bit more than others. Are we patient? in that affliction because the truth of the matter be told um, God is good. The United States of America is the greatest place on earth. Our constitution is the greatest document uh, that has ever been um, written. Uh, we live free. We, uh, we have liberty and, and all sorts of things in this country that other countries can't even fathom. Um, so where I'm going with that is patient and affliction. The, the affliction uh, or the, the, the um, unpleasant things that have been afflicted upon us, for the most part, ladies and gentlemen, are certainly transient. Uh, and and it's, it, it is incumbent upon us as Christians, particularly Christians that have been walking with the Lord for some degree of time, to be patient in this affliction, if you will, because if we look historically um, in our lives, and I know COVID-19 is, is kind of a unique thing, um, this too shall pass. And it is, uh, there is only one way to be patient in affliction, and that is to be steeped in the Word of God. You really do need to be um, in prayer, in thanksgiving, in the word, uh, witnessing, doing all the things you need to be doing in order to be patient in affliction. Because if you're not, the affliction becomes the mountain. The affliction, if you will, becomes your God. You you get up in the morning, and uh, as I as I stated on my show several shows ago, um, had a father-in-law, God rest his soul, that was a millionaire, and he lost almost all of it. And the little bit that he had left, he piled it up and threw it in the stock market. And he did not know the Lord at the time. And the poor guy, yeah, many of you have heard this, uh, if you listen to the show at any degree of regularity, the poor guy would sit on his back and watch CNN all day long or any of the financial shows. And if the stock market went up, he was happy. And if the stock market went down, he was not happy. And um, that was the extent of his patience with his affliction because he was a man that worked hard, amassed a lot, and lost it all and didn't have a lot of other things going on in his life until the end of his life. And um, But during that period, it was very difficult for a guy like that to be patient in affliction. Um, and it's very difficult for some of you to be patient in affliction. 
Um, many men out there were um, breadwinners, and they they derived uh, whatever from that. They uh, the respect that they garnered from the world and from the folks at home were directly a result of the money that they brought home. Now they can't bring it home. They they have been uh, their income generating ability has been curtailed, if not totally squelched by unemployment. How do you tell that guy to be patient in affliction? Well, if he's not a believer, it's infinitely harder. But if he believes in Jesus Christ, he's got to be steeped in the Lord, and he's got to count his blessings, and he's got to be thankful. And as the latter portion of this verse, Romans 12, 12 says, be faithful in prayer. That guy's got to be faithful in prayer because his legs just got cut off. If you're a middle-aged man in the United States of America making a lot of money and pretty much this COVID-19 has cut your legs off and you're you're just unemployed and uh, with no hope of providing for your family, man, that's hard to be patient in affliction. And um, you're going to have to be faithful in prayer. And the people around you are going to have to be faithful in prayer. The next one I put out was humble. Um, Psalm 149.4 says, For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Um, let's go back to the aforementioned guy that lost his job, and we could insert you know, 10 different calamities in there. Um, the Lord humbles us. Whether we want to be humble or we don't want to be humble, we're going to be humble one way or the other. Whether we uh, see the tremendous blessings and feel the tremendous blessings and are grateful for the tremendous blessings that God has given us over the years, and we just hang our head before the Lord and say, it's amazing that you have done this, and I'm not even going to concentrate on um, the, uh, the minor afflictions that I may be having during this COVID-19 thing, and I am just going to be humble and humbled by your blessings, humbled by who you are, humbled by what you have given me. And uh, that's a good way to go through life. Uh, and if you don't do those things, you're going to be humbled whether you want to be humble or not. And the COVID-19 crisis has humbled a lot of people. And perhaps if you're a non-believer, many of the things that you do believe in, your gods, your mini gods, your idols, the gym, your money, um, your girlfriend that lives across the state, whatever. Um, these are things you cannot have now, and you're being humbled. And the, the, the big question is, what are you doing with that? Are you delighting? Are you, are you receiving the Lord's delight in his people? Uh, he crowns the humble with victory. Are you learning anything through being humble during this? Uh, this is a humbling experience for most of us. And it's an experience where we can't just be checking off boxes on a calendar. We need to we need to be humble and see what the point of all this is as it pertains to each one of us. Trust is is my next one. That's a big one. Um, really hard to trust if you're not a believer, or if you're a believer that has put so much trust in your job, in your health in your ability to move around and do this and do that and control your life. If you're a control freakazoid during the COVID-19 pandemic, do I feel sorry for you? My goodness. Trust 
is very difficult. Control freaks have a big problem with trust. Um, Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the earth, uh, excuse me, into the heart of the sea. Um, man, these times are certainly troubling to the point where it feels like the earth is giving way and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. Um, who's our refuge? Um, God? Where is your refuge, your 401k, your job, the prestige you have in the community? Um, Certainly, these are times where if you have misplaced trust or a lack of trust, you're not going to be doing well uh, when the governor tells you you got to stay in your little cube and you can't do anything about it. You better trust something a little bit more high, higher and more powerful than you, and that is God. That is Jesus Christ for the Christian. So trust is, is something that we all need to do, put into practice, and work very hard on during these times. Uh, the next one I have is thankful. Are you thankful? You know, again, if you're a non-believer or a believer that has, you know, wavering faith, you know, if your husband has lost his job, if your kid is the valedictorian, we have a kid in our neighborhood, the valedictorian, and, you know, she can't give her speech and, and she cannot have the sunlight shine on her, the spotlight, if you will, and, 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 and her family can't have any degree of pride in what she's done. Well, they can have some degree of pride, but she's been robbed of all of that, you know, with, with the, she has no senior year from March on, right? Um, people have lost money. They've lost uh, health. How in the world are you thankful during that stuff? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 tells us rejoice always. Not rejoice when the sun is shining and the stock market's up and you just got a promotion. Rejoice always. During the COVID-19 pandemic, when things look terrible, we're supposed to rejoice. Do I get it? No, but God tells me to do it. The next line is probably how we pull that off. And it says pray continually. If we pray continually, it's a little easier to rejoice always. If we don't pray, commune with Jesus, try to understand what in the world the Lord is doing through this, then how are we going to rejoice always? It's going to be difficult. Give thanks in all circumstances, uh, verse 18 says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't care. If you're in Rockland County, New York, you're in the middle of Maine, uh, going through, you know, the craziness up there, um, shutting a state down that has a real handful of COVID-19 cases in a state of 1.2 million people, or you're in Wyoming, or you're in Indonesia, or you're in Rome, uh, can't go to church uh, for, you know, weeks on end uh, because Rome was kind of at the epicenter of a lot of this. Um, wherever you are, that is no surprise to the Lord. Um, it is God's will for you to be there. And we have to be thankful in whatever circumstance that we're in. And um, I know these are just words. Is this challenging? Incredibly. 
I fail at it hourly. You know, I'm, I'm not at the top of the heap on this one, but be thankful. So we, we've, um, we've gone over being patient, humble, trusting, thankful, um, not to swerve this back into the realm of uh, getting political again, but we must be wary during these times. And I, um, I quoted this scripture a couple of shows ago. I'll do it again. Romans 16, 17, and 18. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And forgive me, every time I read that, particularly the line of smooth talk, I just think of our politicians that are enriching themselves either financially or probably more appropriately uh, with power grabs. Um, And we have to be very mindful. Uh, All of the aforementioned things that I've gone over are kind of things that are not divisive. If you're on the left or right, Republican, Democrat, Muslim, Christian, you could probably agree that we should probably be patient, humble, trusting, and thankful during these times. But I started to step into being wary and people, their BP starts to go up. Well, um, we do, we are charged to attract and not repel, but we can't put our heads in the sand. And these are times where James 1 verse 5 uh, speaks of wisdom. Uh, Romans 16, 17, and 18 uh, urges us to be wary uh, of, of people out there that are causing divisions and obstacles and um, they're smooth talking. And boy, do we have a ton of that right now during the COVID-19 crisis, the demagoguery, the jockeying for position, the power grabs, the, um, you know, the, the very cornerstone of your ability to worship freely and, and uh, worship a God of your choice or mine is, is uh, infringed upon greatly in a society where liberty and freedom is minimized and liberty and freedom are being minimized um, big time. So we have to be wary last and certainly not least uh, as the show winds down here, love for our enemies, Matthew five forty three through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you're supposed to love your enemies. I guess I'll conclude with this thoughtful question, and you can ponder it till our next time together. And I'll ask myself the same thing. Do you love Joe Biden? Do you love Nancy Pelosi? Do you love these governors uh, with their Orwellian edicts? Do you love Andrew Cuomo? Do you love Donald Trump? Do you love um, Newt Gingrich? 
Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, take your pick, whatever side of the aisle you happen to be on. Do you love these individuals? Do you pray for these individuals that you seem to be and I seem to be at odds with on many political issues? It is a very, very interesting charge that the Lord uh, does for us uh, or commands us to do, love our enemies. And uh, I'm at the top of the list as somebody that should be doing that more and praying for our leaders more and praying for those leaders that I have a problem with. And you should do that as well. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.